Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. What's up, Outpouring? So good to see you again. Uh, To all of our first-time guests, we want to welcome you into our online community. If this is your first time watching us, we just want to say thank you so much for joining us on today. Uh, We are excited that you're with us today. We would reach out and give you a big hug like we would on Sunday if you were here with us in Orlando. And hopefully sometime in the near future, we can see you and love on you in person. Hey, to a mile point family, thank you guys for tuning in, for staying involved and staying engaged. Hey, I want you to do me a real big favor right now to all of my outpouring family. I want you to send the link to somebody. I want you to share this with somebody. I think today's message is worth their time today. And so if you care about people and you want people to hear the good news about Jesus and what he has done for us, I think you should share this. And so I want you to go ahead and share this. Tell somebody, hey, we're streaming live right now. You can join us. It'll only be for an hour, maybe maybe a little longer than that, but it is worth your time. So, hey, I don't know what you're doing right now, but go ahead, grab something to drink. Make sure that you are sitting down. Take Get a notepad, get your Bible, whatever it looks like for you. I want you to enjoy this. I want us to sit around God's word together, to study together, to grow together, to learn together, and most importantly, for us to worship Jesus as a family. Well, today I uh, want you to open your Bible if you got one on your device, so you got a regular, physical, good old-fashioned Bible, and I want you to turn with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 10, in particular, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Luke 10 verses 25 through 37. And so I'm going to start reading for the sake of time today. If you're at home, why don't you read along with me if you have your Bible? If not, then the scripture is right there on your screen. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25 through verse 37 says this. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? Jesus turns the question on the lawyer that came to him. And here's what the lawyer said in response to Jesus question. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said this, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the guy wasn't satisfied. And here's what he says in verse 29. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus another question. And who is my neighbor? And Jesus took up the question and and Jesus said this. Jesus told a parable. He said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him. They beat him up and fled, leaving him half dead. And so a priest happened to be going down that same road. And when the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But then something interesting happens in verse 33. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. 
He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal. He put him in his own car to give him a ride. And he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, the guy is still there. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of this guy. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. That's crazy. And here's what Jesus says at the end of this parable to the guy. He posed another question to the lawyer. He says this in verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the man responded and said this, the one who showed mercy to him. He said, then Jesus told him, well, go and do the same. Would you pray with me right where you are? Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you, God, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, that you showed your love to us, God, when we were unlovable and you came to see about us. And so, Father, today I pray as we study your word that ultimately Jesus would be glorified, that we are here because of him. We are here for him. We were saved by him for his good pleasure, for your good pleasure, Father. And so, Lord, we we thank you today that we are here, that we are living and breathing, that we can hear you speak to us. And so, Father, today I call for response. Lord, let the Holy Spirit get a hold of our hearts today and cause us not to just hear, but to respond. And so, Father, I pray that we would not just be blessed by our hearers, but we would be blessed by our doing. And so, Father, we thank you for saving us. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy. Father, I pray for every person who is sitting there today from wherever they are. I pray, God, that you would bless them, that you would keep them, that you would protect them, that you would cover them. Lord, allow us to focus today. Allow us to pay attention, God. Allow us to tune out all of the distractions that are going on around us and focus in on your word. And as we worship you, Father, I pray that you would take care of your people. So, Father, we give you glory. We give you honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. The people said, Amen. My sermon title today is, Don't Just Stand There, Do Something. Don't Just Stand There, Do Something. You know, sometimes something happens in culture that is redemptive. Something happens outside of the church what happens in culture that is redemptive and it drives home a biblical perspective. It's kind of like catching lightning in a bottle. It it rarely happens, but when it does, it helps to drive points home. There was a demonstration recently held by a far right group at Waterloo Station in London. But because of this demonstration that was happening by a far right extremist group, some protesters from the Black Lives Matter movement showed up to the event. And as you can expect, there, there were fireworks. But, but I mean, that there were real fireworks. A physical clash took place between the two groups. Well, we expect that to happen. But, but then what happened was unexpected. Something redemptive happened. A man by the name of Patrick Hutchinson did the unthinkable. But as opposed to me telling you what he did, I think you can see this 
Watch for yourself. Watch this. The powerful picture of a black protester carrying a white man to safety is going viral on social media at the moment. This all happened during clashes on Saturday between Black Lives Matter demonstrators and far-right groups in London. Patrick Hutchinson says he picked the man up after noticing he was injured and carried him to police nearby to keep him safe. For more on this Pretty unforgettable image. I'm joined by CNN's Salma Abdulaziz at uh, London's Waterloo Station where these clashes broke out on Saturday. Really is an amazing image. Uh, tell us more about the man and his motives. That's exactly right, Michael. And those steps just behind me there is actually where this whole scene unfolded. There were right-wing demonstrators clashing with supporters of the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, the Black Lives Matter movement had actually canceled demonstrations for the weekend, but Patrick Hutchinson says he knew that there would be young supporters of the movement that would come out, that they could potentially get into trouble, and that he wanted to act as a peacekeeper. Take a look at our interview. Is this you in the photograph? Yes, that is me in that photograph. Can you describe to me what's happening in this picture? My friends and I sort of put a cordon around this, this man. Uh, he was sort of on the, on the stairs, uh, lying in the fetal position um, with, you know, anything was about to happen to him. The first time I saw him was when I sort of climbed underneath him to go and pick him up. And you could have looked at this man and thought, he is my enemy. Why did you choose to help him? There was a particular thought that I had that, you know, you have to show some sort of, uh, you know, love for your fellow man, okay, regardless, because I, I was saying that if the other three officers that were present when um, George Floyd was, was unfortunately murdered, if they, just one of them had stepped in uh, and, and stopped, um, you know, their fellow officer from doing what he did, he'd be alive today. And you, you put him on your shoulder, you carried him over to the police, then what happens? I'm carrying him, my friends are surrounding me, protecting myself and the man on my shoulder. Um, he was, you know, still sort of getting, uh, receiving blows. Um, you could sort of feel people trying to hit him. I uh, carried him over to the police and uh, I said, here you are. And one of the police officers said, thank you, you did a good thing, a good thing there, man. What do you want people to take away when they look at that picture? I think hopefully they'll take away breaking down the race barriers. And, and realize and see that we're all one people, that we're all one race. Wow. A lawyer asked Jesus a question. And he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It seems like an honest and pure question, a question that is significant, a question that is quite weighty. Like, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life. This is interesting because the lawyer poses a theological question to Jesus, but he's a lawyer. And in those days, lawyers were Bible experts. They understood God's law. They knew every nook and cranny of the scriptures. And so for him to ask Jesus this question was kind of random, but the text reveals that his motives were not pure. He stood up to test Jesus. He's asking Jesus this question to trick Jesus. This was not the first time that someone did this, but the, the, the lawyer asked Jesus a legitimate question, but it was actually cloaked in him being slick with Jesus. And Jesus turns the question on him because you can't outsmart God. And he says, well, what do the scriptures say? Jesus said, it doesn't matter what I say. Go back to the word of God and see what the word of God says. 
And so this lawyer then quotes, goes right to the right place. And the lawyer quotes what is known to Jewish people as the Shema, which happens to take place in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter six, starting at verse four, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one, meaning that God is the only one living true God. And then it says that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. And, and with all our mind, meaning I should love God with every part of my being, my intellect, my will, my strength, my faculties, all of my senses are in love with God. And so Jews knew this. They, they recited it every day, multiple times a day. So for him to ask Jesus this question, he's trying to get over it over on Jesus. And so he knows something that 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 may, may, maybe most people don't know is that when they said the Shema, they were uh, making a commitment and reminding themselves that to love God was to love him with the totality of who they are. He was the only one living, true God, good, holy, perfect in all of his ways. And because of that and because he redeemed them, they were supposed to be in a love relationship with God and they were supposed to have wholehearted commitment with God. They were supposed to be committed to Jesus because they loved him that much, committed to God because they loved him that much. And that love for God was to flow into obedience to God's command. And so genuine love for God, this is a point for all of us, genuine love for God results in obedience. A lot of people can say they love God, but the true test of if you love God or not says that I obey God even when I don't feel like it or even when my flesh doesn't agree with God. And so we can say that we love God, but real love for God results in real obedience to what God has commanded us to do. And so when we love God, we don't compartmentalize our lives where we love God in certain sections. We love him enough to ask him to provide financial resources for us, but we don't love him enough to get into a messy relationship with us. And so we can't say we love all of God or love God with all of our being when we keep God out of certain parts of our lives. But to love God means I love him totally and completely. And there is nothing about my life that is off limits to God. And so when I love God that much, there's no limit to what I will do that he asked me to do. But the guy doesn't just say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. He adds something else to it that he got from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And he says this, love your neighbor as yourself. If you have read your Bible before, you know, in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 22, we all know that there is a great commission, right? We know that there's a great commission that he sends us to go out and to preach and to baptize uh, to all nations, right? We, we know that. But then there is the great commandment. And here's what the great commandment is. He said to him, this is what Jesus said in response to another person who asked him this question before. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these commands. And so to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself is the summation of the law and all of the Old Testament. And so here's what I want to break down for you uh, when, when we talk about the law or the Decalogue or the, or the Ten Commandments. When you look at the, the Ten Commandments, do you notice that the first four commandments deal with our personal relationship with God? It, it, it has this horizontal, uh, vertical element to it, this vertical element to it. And then when we look at the last six commandments, it has to do with 
how we deal with other people, which means that our vertical relationship, our relationship with God doesn't just stay vertical, but it extends out and it overflows to our relationship with other people. You see, some of us are good in our personal relationship with God, but then we, we suck when it comes to dealing with people. All of us have issues with people at times, but if you truly love God, there should be something about you that it shows itself in how you deal with other people. And so there is no distinction between devotion to God and treatment of people. Do you know some people who they claim that they love God and they fast and they pray? But man, they are horrible with people. Do you know people like that? Well, if you truly love God, then it will show itself, at least in part, in the majority of your relationships with people. And so when he calls us to love God and then love our neighbor, it puts God at the center of our lives. But it has a response in which we love other people. And so what does Jesus say when he answers the question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? He tells him, do those two commands. He says, do this and you will live. That's the answer to the question. How do I inherit eternal life? By keeping the law, by, by, by loving God and loving my neighbor. Jesus is essentially saying having a knowledge of God is not just enough because I know a lot of people and you know a lot of people that know all of the scriptures. They know all of the scriptures, but they don't know how to put any of it into practice. They know all the scriptures, but they don't live out the scriptures in the least bit. And so Jesus says we must love God and love people and that is the way to eternal life. That is the way to eternal life, that we love God and love people. But here's what the lawyer did at what another for him. It wasn't enough. And so it says he wanted to justify himself. And he asked this question, but who is my neighbor? And so he immediately knew that, ooh, I hadn't been loving God and I certainly haven't been loving my neighbor. And so he says, well, I got you. Well, who is my who, who is my neighbor? He, he knew immediately that he was failing at it. And so just like most of us, he wants to find a loophole and a stipulation about God's word that he can make it work into his favor. Isn't that what we all do at times? We bring God's standards down to us and we make God fit into our parameters just so, so that we can justify ourselves. Don't we often try times try to do the same thing and try to find the way that we can do the least and still be justified by God? And this is what this guy's doing. And so he says, and who is my neighbor? He is literally trying to limit who his neighbor is. Jewish tradition found a loophole. They added some tradition to what was in the law. And they said to love my neighbor is to love a fellow Israelite. They, they had this mindset where they said, we got to take care of our own kind. We got to take care of our, our own people. And, and for us, that maybe look like let, let me love only Christians. Let, let me love only Jews. Let me just love my own people. Let me just only love black folks. I'm only dealing with black folks in this season until this climate gets better and white folks get their stuff together. I'm only going to love black people. Or maybe you say, I'm tired of the, the protesting. I'm tired of turning on my TV and hearing stuff about this George Floyd thing and all these protests. So, so let me just love white people only. Let me just love the people from my particular culture. Let me just love people that are just like me. And Jesus is saying, don't try to figure out who is my neighbor. Instead of trying to figure out who your neighbor is, just be a neighbor to whoever you encounter. 
No matter who they are or where they come from, the lawyer is literally looking for his way into doing minimum obedience. But when you say that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, God ain't looking for minimum obedience. He's looking for total obedience. Love fulfills the law. Romans 13 and 8 says, uh, do not owe anyone anything except to love one another for the one who loves another fulfills the law. So Jesus wants to drive this point home and he tells a parable. Parables are a story that has a deeper meaning than what lies on the surface. Oftentimes when Jesus wanted to communicate something to his followers or his disciples, he put it in a parable so that spiritual eyes and spiritual ears could discern what he was trying to say. And in this instance, he uses a parable as a lesson for his own disciples who would have been listening to this conversation. But he's also using it as an evangelistic tool for this lawyer to see his deepest need. And so here's what it says in the parable. You've read it before. If you've ever been in church for five minutes or you've ever gone to Sunday school, here's the parable, what we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. Verses 30 through 35 says this. Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, they beat him and fled, leaving the guy half dead. Like he, he is uh, within an inch of his life. And then a priest happened to be going down the road. The priest saw the dude and he passed by on the other side. This is in the same way a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side too. But then a Samaritan on his journey came up and he saw the man. He had compassion. He went over to the dude and bandaged his wounds and poured olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. And so apparently this guy who's beaten up is probably Jewish. So they're on the road. From Jerusalem to Jericho, I need you, you need to know this about the, the Jericho road is that th there was uh, 17 miles from Jerusalem down to Jericho, 17 miles. It was mountainous terrain. It dropped from 2,600 uh, feet sea level to 825 feet below sea level. And so you're going from 2,600 feet sea level to 825 feet below sea level. So it was a steep decline from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And so within this area is all sort of mountainous terrain and caves. This was a great place for robbers and criminals to hide out and ambush people as they're coming down this way. It was often it was often called the bloody way because this happened often. People would get robbed, beaten and left for dead. And so this guy is now fighting for his life because he got beat up. He got beat up. And so this is horrible. This guy's beat up. Whew, but thanks be to God. Th thanks be to God. You know, I say thanks be to God because a religious person, a priest, a religious person is coming his way. He's coming his way. A religious person is coming from Jerusalem. So, so he's coming from the place of worship and he's about to pass by this guy. This is a priest. And so this is good. A pastor is coming through. This is a minister of the gospel. This is God. Look at God sending somebody right there in the nick of time to help. And so you got a priest here and the priest is surely going to help this guy. He works in the temple. He is a godly person. If anybody's going to help this guy, it is this priest. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other. He, he passed by on the other side. He saw the guy and kept and he kept walking. He saw the guy on the side of the street with a sign and he kept going. He didn't even bother to stop. A 
religious person, a, a, a pastor, a, a minister of the gospel, a, a leader in the Lord's house saw somebody in need and pretended that they didn't see him. They saw him, pretended they didn't see him, and they kept on going. Now, some would say this dude was afraid for his life. You just told me this was a place where people got jumped, they got ambushed, they got robbed, they got beaten. And so this guy is probably afraid. Or maybe he's a priest and maybe he thinks the guy is dead and so he doesn't want to defile himself because he has to do work in the temple. Well, the story tells us he's coming down from Jerusalem going to Jericho. So he just left church. He literally just got finished preaching. He just got finished handing out communion. He just got finished praying for people. He just got finished counseling people. He just got finished encouraging people on how to live for God. And he sees somebody right there in front of them and he does nothing about it. It is a shame that a person who just got out of church, just got finished preaching and counseling and conducting meetings and administering communion and baptizing people. When he sees somebody, he sees ministry to be done right in front of him. He doesn't do it. But when God puts somebody in their way to help outside of church, ministry no longer matters. That is a problem. And so we just got to stop reducing ministry down to what happens inside of the four walls of the church. This is where we come to be equipped to do ministry. But then we go out and do ministry. And a priest, a pastor, a spiritual leader leaves this man on the side of the road. And so. But God is good. He's still a good God because all hope is not lost. Another religious person comes through. Ooh, he may not be there when you want him, but he'll <laughs> he'll be there right on right on time. Uh, a Levite comes. Now, a Levite is not a priest. He's not the pastor, but he's somebody who helps the pastor. He's somebody that helps to do the work of ministry. And, and he's coming from Jer Jericho too, uh, from Jerusalem too. He would have been coming from church as well. He would have just come from praying, paying his tithes, giving an offering, greeting people at the door, hugging all the people. He would have been singing on the praise team or in the choir. He would have been playing, playing an instrument. He would have been setting up chairs and taking down flags and taking down banners. He would have been working in the church's account department. He would have been working in the children's ministry. And so by the wording of the text, it suggests that this guy took a closer look at the man than the priest did. He saw the man was hurting, walked over, looked at him, observed, and he kept on going. He made a conscious decision. That's a shame. I know you're saying that's a shame. I mean, it is a shame. He, 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 he knew better. But, but you know, I, I have some grace for this guy. Maybe he had something important to do. He had a good reason to keep going. I'm sure he had to rush because there was brunch to be had with some friends somewhere in Jericho. I'm sure there was a popping brunch somewhere going on with, with, with some with some five dollar mimosas or something. I'm sure that there was brunch to be had somewhere. I'm sure he had an appointment for brunch. I mean, he had been at church serving all day anyway. He was in a rush. He was tired. It was after church. It's an hour. I've been here. I don't have time to do this. I've done my duty for the day. I'm sure that he had to go get some food and make sure he made it home in time enough to watch the game because the game starts at Fox uh, or, or on NBC. It starts at one o'clock. And so it's like like 1245, one o'clock, maybe 5 p.m., depending on where you go to church or what kind of denomination you're in. But, but he, he wants to go and catch some of the game. He wants to see some of the game. I'm, I'm sure that there was something more important to do than inconvenience himself to serve someone else in their time of need. Two people who supposedly love God, but forget 
to do the other commandment. Let us not forget to love God and to love people. We can't keep one commandment and then forget to do the other. Nothing that they had going on at that time was more important than doing the ministry that God placed right in front of them. But then something interesting happened, something forbidden happened. Verse 33 through 35 says, but a Samaritan on his journey came up to him and we saw the man, he had compassion. Look at verse 30, 33, 35. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. And then he put his own animal, put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of this guy. When I come back, I got you. I'm going to reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. I, I want to take care of this guy. Now, this may not mean anything to you, but they would have understood something in this culture. Samaritans were a mixed breed of people. So they were a minority. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. The Israelites hated the Samaritans. Samaritans hated the Jews. They worshiped differently, right? But they were their relatives, but they hated each other. This was racism at its finest, that they were despised by the pure blooded Jews. Their lives did not matter. Samaritan lives didn't matter, that they were to be avoided at all costs. Don't even roll through a Samaritan neighborhood. The Jews believed that Samaritans uh, compromised the faith. If you remember, if you read John's gospel for John 4 and 9, Jesus talking to a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. This is crazy. He's talking to a woman, but he's talking to a Samaritan woman. And here's what she said. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She said that. She knew their culture. She knew the hostility that they had. Whenever Jews had to go on a journey, if it, if it went through Samaritan territory, they went the long way around no matter how much time it took. They would not go through Samar Samaritan uh, territory. There was racial and religious hostility. When hatred is deep-seated, it is hard to uproot it. Let me say that again. When hatred is deep-seated, it is hard to uproot it. It takes time. But you know who has more time than anybody? God does. And so when Jesus first begins his journey to Jerusalem, he doesn't go around Samaritan or Samaritan village. He goes right through a Samaritan village. I want to read something to you in Luke 9, verses 51 through 55. Here's what it tells us. When the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, talking about his crucifixion, he determined, Jesus determined to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of himself and on the way he entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. He intentionally goes through a to the neighborhood of the people that he knows despises him. And here's what it says in verse 53. But they did not welcome him because he determined to journey to Jerusalem. When the disciples, he's got his boys with him. James and John is with him. They said, Lord, I can't stand these Samaritans. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? And here's what Jesus did. Jesus is Jewish just like James and John is. Jesus rebukes them because of what they said, although the Samaritans rejected him. You see the hostility by the way the disciples respond to the rejection that Jesus faced by the Samaritans. And so as Jesus got ready to go through Samaria, Samaria, uh, Samaria uh, uh, the Samaritans probably were chanting, Samaritans' lives matter. 
Samaritan lives matter. They're saying Samaritan lives matter. And James and John is like, all lives matter. Or they say, oh, Jewish lives matter. And they wanted to wipe out an entire village. And if you read the text naturally, you'll think they're just riding and dying for Jesus, that they love Jesus so much they want to destroy somebody that rejected Jesus. But here's what you need to see underneath their eagerness to ride or die for Jesus is really a hint of prejudice and racism. So it's easy to cloak racism, bias and prejudice under the guise of loving God. It appears they are using their privilege because they got Jesus with them to exercise it against people that they don't like. And Jesus does not allow them to call down fire from heaven on the Samaritans for this one simple reason. God gives people time to respond and get it right. He gives people time to repent. If they're racist, if they're prejudiced, if they're biased, no matter what their ill is, God gives people time and we must do it too. I know that's tough. I know you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. You're not tired enough. God's, if you are racist and you are listening to this, if you are racist, God's kindness, his patience, he's contending with you. God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. So if you are racist or biased or prejudiced, God is giving you time to get your act together. And so for us as believers or people who have been uh, have, have, have had racism afflicted on us, if God is contending for them, then we can't lose hope that God can save them, too. I know it's hard, but you need the spirit to have the mind of Christ. We want people to come where we are quick, fast, and in a hurry, but thank God that it gives people time to repent. Why would I thank God? Because God gave me time to repent. So, I think it's important because Jesus is going to a group of people that he knows has hostility against his own race because the mission of the gospel ain't just for black people. It's not just for white people. It's not just for Asian or Hispanic or whatever race of people there are. Jesus called all people to all kinds of people to be saved. So, Pastor, you tell me, yeah, who's going to help this dude? The person that Jesus used to help a hurting Jew is a person that they would have least expected it to. A Samaritan. That would be like a Member of Black Lives Matter helping somebody who is hurt that is a part of a far right white supremacist group. <laughs> and so Jesus is saying the Good Samaritan came. It's like saying a terrorist, an Islamic terrorist came to help somebody. This, 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 this person is a Good Samaritan, not because of their race, but because of what actions they took. And with this story, Jesus is challenging the prejudice and privilege of this Jewish lawyer. He's demonstrating to those that are far off, that those that are not Jewish, that they can demonstrate the love and mercy of God on their perceived enemies. And here's what it says. The Samaritan is on his journey and he saw the man and he didn't turn a deaf ear and a blind eye. He had compassion and he does several things. He goes over to the man. 
because being a good neighbor means seeing a need and doing something about it. He gave aid to the man. He put the man on his own animal. Do you know how significant that is? He's riding on his own animal. The man is left for dead. He has to get off his animal, get the man up, put the man on his animal, and he walks the rest of the day while somebody rides on his animal. And so that is like saying you give your car to somebody else, but not just somebody else, somebody that you hate, and you walk the rest of the way. That's called humility. Because he's putting someone else's needs above his own. He takes him to a place to get shelter. He stays with the man and makes sure he's safe and gets the care that he needs. He provides financial resources to make sure the man is taken care of. He gives them two denarii, which is worth two weeks labor. And that would have taken care of the man for 24 days. And so to be a good neighbor means that we sacrifice something. We pay a price to be a good neighbor. This guy's taking care of a person he never met before. He did everything that he could. Because when you say uh, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, you need to know this. Love is not just a feeling. Love is an action. And so the question is this. A young lady who saved, loved God, asked this question in our small group this week. She says, how do I love people that I don't feel like loving? And I said to her, let your feelings catch up with your actions. Hear that. Let your feelings catch up with your actions. We keep trying to drag our actions behind our feelings when our actions should be leading our feelings. Even when you don't feel like loving, you love anyway. We cannot determine based on external stuff who we want and who we won't extend a hand and a heart to. Love that comes from the heart responds with the hands. And so what does it mean to be a good neighbor? Be ready to help anybody that God brings across our path, no matter whether they are Christian or non-Christian, poor, rich, young, old, Republican, Democrat, independent, white, black. Doesn't matter. Being a good neighbor is not is, is not found in who you have a racial or, or a cultural bond with. Being a good neighbor and being a good disciple of Christ is that you help anybody who you see in need. Being a good neighbor is not something that we do. It's who we are. And I want you to notice something. Jesus at the end of the text, verse 36 to 37, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man, the priest, the Levite or the Samaritan? And the guy said, verse 37, it's so crazy. The one who showed mercy to him. What you don't see the guy saying is the Samaritan. The hatred is so deep seated, he can't even say the guy's race. He can't even say Samaritan lives matter. It hurts him to his core. <laughs> he can't even say it. He can't even say the name because that's how deep seated it is. But I declare that we can overcome racism, black and white, by the blood and the power of Jesus. This is a spiritual thing that only the power and the strength of God can overcome. And he's saying we can't define who our neighbor is. We just have to be one. And this parable ain't just about helping out a neighbor. This parable is about salvation, because what is the first thing that the lawyer says? What must I do to inherit eternal life? He's essentially saying, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus is saying to him, love God. And love your neighbor as yourself. But the problem is with keeping the law, 
None of us can keep it because keeping the law requires a perfect love and we don't love perfectly and we are not the perfect neighbors. And so here's a call for us to let our inability to love rightly and properly lead us to the savior that did. So Jesus is the perfect law keeper. Here's what it says. If we want to find life in John 3, 36, it says this, the one who believes in the son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the son will not see life. The one who believes in the son has eternal life. If, if you've ever felt yourself or racism coming up in your heart or you've been biased to somebody or a certain race or you've had certain prejudice, or whether if they weren't a part of your culture or not a part of your race. And you said, I, I can't love my neighbor. Let that shortcoming drive you to the savior. Let it drive you to the cross. And I'm done. But I need you to know this. Some have said over time and in history that the good Samaritan is actually a picture of Jesus, that, that, that Christ is the good Samaritan. But I think that doesn't do Jesus justice. Because this guy came and he gave aid and he helped him. And he bandaged him up and he got him to some shelter. And he traveled a short way to make sure the guy was good. And he took care of his financial resources for a couple of days. And he came back the next day to make sure he was good. And I'm sure at that point, the Samaritan went on his way. But I think we sell Jesus short if we say that he's a good Samaritan. Because he didn't just come to us. He didn't just come and give us aid as if we were half dead like the guy on the road to Jericho. We weren't half dead. Jesus came to us when we were not half dead, but we were already dead. And he came to us and gave us life. See, Jesus didn't come out of his way to help us across the street. Jesus made his way from heaven down to earth to travel a much greater distance to come and save us. It didn't take him just a couple of days of his time and his money. It cost him the sufferings of the earth, the blood, the blood of his body, the agony of the cross. Jesus didn't just stay long enough until we got on our feet and went on his merry way. He came to stay with us and is still with us and he helps us in seeing our salvation to the end and he's coming back to get us and to carry us on to glory. And so you may be struggling in this season of your life with everything that is going on. But if you are a believer, a follower of Jesus, and you say that you love God, you can't love God and not love people. And we don't get to determine who our neighbor is. We often think that it's just got, we, we just got to show love to Christians. Mm -mm. He calls us to show love to all people. Christianity is not a country club. It's not. We worship a God exclusively and only but it is open. The kingdom is open to all kinds of people. And so. This is beautiful because he says that in order to inherit life, we got to keep the commands. We got to love God and love our neighbor. But what do we do? We have not done that well. We do the only right thing to do. We put our trust and our hope in Jesus. If you've been feeling hatred, you've been feeling like you're about to lose your mind, grieve, confess, repent, and turn towards God and love your neighbor. If a brother 
can see a far right protester standing for everything that would strip him of his dignity and his humanity and still go to this guy's rescue. And notice this guy didn't say he did it in Jesus name. He just did the right thing. Well, if the world, if somebody that's not saved can do that, how much more should the church? And so God has called us love him and love our neighbor. And this is a call for all of us to not just stand there when we see somebody hurting, but it is a call for us to do something. Who can you help today? Who can you help this week? Who in your phone that you know is struggling to make it? Who needs to hear your voice? Who needs to be encouraged? Who needs to be prayed for? Who needs a couple of dollars? Who needs something to eat? Who needs somewhere to stay? Who needs a ride? Who do you know? Or are you going to be like the priest and the Levite and see somebody hurting and not do something? Or are we going to be like that Samaritan? See someone and have compassion the same way Christ had compassion for us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.